Welcome to Israel and to Immerse, this 40-day journey that we're in in our groups, in this sermon series, to better understand the story of the New Testament and how you and I fit into that story. And Luke is our guide. He's going to help us understand the ministry of Jesus and the birth of the early church in Luke and Acts. Now, what may be a little abnormal, I do have sunglasses on. You may wonder why. Two reasons. One is the sun is directly in my eyes. Reason one. Reason two is I'm kind of cool. At least that's what my mom says. And before my kids turned four, they thought I was pretty cool too. So there. Now I'm on the Sea of Galilee for a reason. And that is because this section of the book of Luke happens in Galilee. That's what Luke covers is his ministry in Galilee. And Jesus grew up in Galilee. It's where the disciples were from. Most of Jesus' ministry did happen in Galilee. So in Israel, you have Galilee in the north and Judea where Jerusalem is in the south. He certainly ministered in the south too, but most of his ministry is in the north And that's what this section of the book of Luke is about as well. And in this section, what you find in the early part of Jesus's ministry to the middle part of Jesus's ministry is those who were closest to him, his disciples or would be soon to be disciples and other close followers are trying to figure out exactly who Jesus is and how big the opportunity is once he says, hey, I want you to be my rabbi or I want you to follow me. And so today we're going to see a series that Luke gives us of aha moments for the disciples as they begin to understand his true identity and understand the incredible opportunity that's in front of them. Now, that's important for you and me, too, because Jesus's identity is the same. The opportunity, even though it's 2000 years later, is available to you and me, too. And my prayer is that God will open up our eyes, just like he did the disciples, to have our own aha moment about his identity and and to evaluate our lives right now in light of the opportunity we have to give our lives for something way bigger than we naturally will. So today we're going to see these three stories in two locations. Now, some of you I know are beach people, like if you're going on vacation. In fact, you can raise your hand wherever you are. Uh, Some of you are mountain people when you go on vacation. You can raise your hand. Usually there's a little bit more beach people than mountain people. I don't know where you are. But today we've got both of you covered because we've got two stories on the Sea of Galilee, one story on a mountain. And let's tell the first one because it's happening. It happened right here on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Sea of Galilee, the word sea is a little bit misleading because we think ocean and waves and surfing and all that. Uh, But this is an inland body of water, sometimes called Lake Gennesaret in the Bible, because it is a freshwater body of water. So it is more like a lake. The Jordan River flows into it and out of it, going down to the Dead Sea. And as I said, the story happens just right here on the shore, somewhere along the shore, as Jesus was teaching in Galilee. He was very popular by this point. He had hundreds and thousands of people who came to hear him teach and watch him do miracles. And so you've got all these people and just crowd control. He makes his own kind of amphitheater by borrowing somebody's boat and just going out not very long anchoring it and teaching from the boat as people line the seashore. And by the way, we know Jesus is smart. He's God. That's why he borrows a boat instead of buy one. If you've ever bought a boat, you know what I'm saying. But he was smart. He borrows the boat. He teaches. At the end of that teaching time, uh, he's got some fishermen there that he knows he wants to be his disciples. He's going to give it invitation. They don't know that yet. But he tells them, hey, look, you guys are fishermen. Here's what I want you to do. Take your boats and go out into deep water and cast your nets and just see what happens. Now, their response was kind of a, hey, Rabbi, you may want to stay in your lane kind of response. Because what they essentially, well, what they do say is, you know, we've been fishing all day. 
like they're good at this. They're professional fishermen. We've been we've been fishing all day and we haven't caught a thing, which sounds like every fishing trip I've ever been on. But basically, they're saying, look, the fish aren't biting, and they're certainly not gonna. We're not gonna catch them in deep water this time of day. But they oblige, and they go out. They cast their nets out into the deep water. The catch of fish is larger than anything they've ever seen. In fact, so much so the nets are about to are straining. They're breaking as they're trying to get all these fish in. And they know this isn't normal. This is a miracle. And so we read this as Peter turns to Jesus when he gets back on shore. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Peter is simply realizing that Jesus is way more than a carpenter, way more than a rabbi, way more than just a really great man. And that's why he says what he says. In fact, that would be blasphemous saying it to anybody else but Jesus. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But Peter's starting to figure out just how big this is. And then Jesus looks at him and James and John as well and says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. They were fishermen. Now you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Is an invitation to be a disciple of a rabbi that they're already understanding is more than a rabbi and more than some prophet and more than really great man. So much so that they immediately, without much thinking, leave everything behind to follow him. Because that's the only thing that made sense. And when you and I understand his identity and the opportunity that he gives us, it's the only thing that makes sense for us. Now, they're going to see more of his identity and the opportunity in our next story, which won't be on the shore, but actually on the Sea of Galilee. I love being on the water, so join me, and I'll see you there. I'm always happy to be on water anywhere, but certainly here on the Sea of Galilee, on this particular lake, because so much happened in the ministry of Jesus on and and especially around this lake. You can kind of picture Jesus with his disciples by the shore or talking to the crowds along the hillsides or him being in these villages where he lived and where he stayed uh, most of the time. And, And of course, some of the things happened on the water as they were crossing in boats together. And that's our story today, which is a very dramatic one. Again, as the disciples are trying to figure out just who he is and how significant the opportunity is to follow him, uh, this event was a really big event, helping them figure that out. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now that's important because he didn't say, hey, let's try to go to the other side of the lake. Let's hope we can get to the other side of the lake. He said, we're going to the other side of the lake. And, you know, when God says that, you believe it's going to happen. Next verse, so they got into a boat and set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, that should be encouragement to any of you who are nappers, because uh, we're going to see Jesus was, it was a gift. He was a good napper. Uh, just wait. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Uh, because of the topography here, storms can come in and, and be pretty violent. And I've been on the ocean when a squall line came through, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's scary. And these disciples, even though several of them were fishermen, uh, they were they were freaking out. And the disciples went and woke him. Again, I told you Jesus was a strong napper. In the middle of the crazy, as the water is coming over the boat, he's still asleep. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, 
and all was calm, just like it is now. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So two groups are amazed here. Uh, First, Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith, uh, which he often was. And that word was used throughout his time with the disciples, that they were amazed at their lack of faith. Um, Here, when it says, where is your faith? More literally, he just puts two words together, little faith. It's like a name. It's like saying, why are you being such little faiths? Because if they understood what Jesus knew, uh, what God knows with Jesus in the boat, the creator of the universe, they could take a nap in a storm, too. He says, why are you such little faiths? Now, that's important right now for some of you who are in a storm in life of some kind. And you're probably freaking out. I would, too, with whatever circumstances you're going through. But my prayer for us is that today God would speak peace into our storm. Somebody just sent me this quote from Max Licato, who said this, Don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. Your problem is not that your problem is too big, but that your view of God is too small. So be encouraged, because when God is in your boat, you can have peace even in the fiercest storm. Now, Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. They're amazed at his ability, that even the wind and the waves obey him, that he can still a storm. And they're starting to see that he is more than a carpenter, that he is more than a rabbi, that he is he's more than just a really great man. And if they had any question about that, what happens next, even more dramatic. And that's for you mountain people as we'll go to Mount Tabor. Well, you're joining me now on Mount Tabor, the traditional site of the Transfiguration, which is one of the most spectacular and significant events with Jesus and his disciples. To transfigure means to change figure, to change form. You know, Jesus is the God-man. He was fully God, existed always, took on humanity, became human. And the Bible lets us know that in his humanity, he there's no way you could tell he was anything but just another guy. Uh, you couldn't see his divinity. The Bible says that there was nothing spectacular about his appearance. So you didn't look at him and be like, wow, that guy's divine. He just looked like another guy, another dude. Uh, but in the transfiguration, that changes as he reveals his glory to three of the disciples as he came up to this mountain or We don't know for sure if it's this mountain or just a couple of other options. But in Luke 9, we read this. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went on to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, so they would have come from heaven, appeared in glorious splendor, heavenly splendor, talking with Jesus. Now think about that for Peter, James, and John. Well, who are their heroes? Well, likely it's the Old Testament characters, right? Because they're the New Testament characters, so they're not their heroes. So as they look back and think, okay, who are the top two or three or four or five? Well, Moses and Elijah would have to be near the top of that list, right? Have to be in the top five. They spoke, the three of them, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. So Moses and Elijah came from heaven about his departure, which he was about to bring, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So talking about the cross and the resurrection 
and all of heaven had to be a buzz at what is really going on. What is the divine plan with Jesus, God becoming human and the cross and the resurrection? So they're having this conversation. And it says while that's going on, Peter and his companions were sleepy. So they evidently fell asleep. And there's this pattern in the Gospels where the disciples sleep when they're supposed to be praying. And Jesus sleeps, takes a nap in a storm, as we read earlier. But they do wake up. But when they become fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Meaning, let's not leave. Let's just stay here. Luke, I love his parenthesis, says he did not know what he was saying. And now Peter often did that. He would just say whatever was on his mind without really thinking through it. And basically, Peter was saying, hey, let's just live here always. Let's make these shelters. Let's not leave. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. Now, in the Old Testament era, right, in the daytime, the presence of God was, was made symbolic. You could see it with a cloud at night fire. This was in the daytime. So this cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen, as they had seen God proclaim, This is my son. Now, they didn't talk about it, likely because Jesus told them not to, which he often did in this period of his ministry. Before Peter and James and John, if they had any doubts about Jesus' true identity as being the Son of God and about the opportunity they had to follow him and give their lives to him, all those doubts went away at the transfiguration. And that's really what we're seeing in this section of Luke as the disciples and the followers of Jesus are coming to grips with his true identity and the incredible opportunity that they have. And as we think about both of those things, his identity and opportunity, now, for one, when we think about identity, realize that Jesus, whom we uh, have the opportunity to know, is God, our creator. But there's also a lesson there in just how he carried himself. Uh, he really shows us what true greatness is about. He often talked about that, right? That don't be like the Gentile rulers and all that who lord, it, lord their authority over people. Uh, he didn't do that. Um, he carried himself in a way that lifted others up, not himself. Uh, that made others feel like big shots even more than him. And, and, and to realize that the true greatness is choosing to be a servant. And some of you are in positions of responsibility, and, and we can all learn from that, right? Our job is not to be a big shot and to be served. Our job is to serve. But even more importantly, to understand in this part of the story is the incredible opportunity that the disciples had 2,000 years ago, but that you and I have now, to give our lives to him and to give our lives to his mission I mean, that's what the disciples did, right? In the story we read earlier, they left their nets, they left everything, and they followed him, and they gave their lives to this mission. And for you and me, some of you, this may be considering that for the first time as we come to grips with Jesus' identity and the opportunity that you have to follow him, to say, you know, I want to follow Jesus, and, and I want to live for him. And we're going to have that opportunity in a moment as we pray. But for people like me and you who maybe have, uh, if you are in a place where you've already made that, decision some time ago, today's a perfect opportunity to evaluate our lives in light of that because it is so easy to get sloppy. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to really want to be giving our lives to Jesus in this mission, but really uh, we're just distracted by stupid things. And you know two things that will never lie uh, about what, what we're really devoted to? 
that's our calendar and our checkbook. Now I know nobody uses checkbooks anymore, even though I do. Um, but what we do with our time and what we do with our money, more than anything else, just tells us, yep, that's what our life's about. That's what we're committed to. And so I think today would be a great opportunity as we pray in light of the incredible opportunity you and I have to serve Jesus, who is our creator, who's, who's invited us to live for his mission. Uh, we're going to pray about that. And as we pray, I also want to pray for those of you who are in a storm, who right now are facing circumstances that are just so difficult and don't make any sense. And, and especially if you know Jesus, I'm going to pray that God will let you know his presence in your storm so that you can find peace. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for this part of Luke where we see the identity of Jesus as God who came for us. And we first of all thank you that you invite us not only to know you, but to follow you and to live our lives for his mission. And Father, for some people here today, this may be their first time to say, I'm in. That's what I want my life to be about. And I pray that you'd help them make that commitment. And for those of us who've already made that commitment, God, just speak into our hearts and and, uh, and help us to reevaluate our devotion to you and our focus on what really matters. And for those right now who are in a storm, whose life has been turned upside down by some kind of circumstance or sickness or loss, Father, I pray that right now you would make your presence felt, that you would make your presence known to them, and that you would fill them with peace and remove their anxiety. Father, we just thank you for being you and that we have the opportunity to know and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.